This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, my name's Tom Kirkham. I'm CEO, founder, and acting chief information security officer of Kirkham Iron Tech. We are a cybersecurity and managed IT service provider, or as it's called in the business, managed security services provider and managed services provider. I've been doing this for decades. I'll leave that a little vague. And, but I have experience in all aspects of technology, award-winning software designer, been in the software world, network administration, and for the past few years, been in seriously into cybersecurity. I'm very passionate about it because of a data breach, I'm on an ISIS kill list. Oh, so, and if oh you that talk makes about it interesting. That, yes. Oh my gosh, that sounds super interesting. I definitely want to get into that. So... The reason we're going to talk today is because I think this is a topic that people really just don't care enough about and pay attention to. And I'm trying to think of what the word I'm looking for, but they just sort of shove it over to the side, sort of like taxes, like it's a necessary thing, but I don't really like thinking about it. So we're going to talk today about cybersecurity and what everybody gets wrong about it, especially law firms, obviously, that's who we're talking to. But Tom, let's talk about your ISIS kill list first. Like that's, that's a good opening. Let's, let's talk about that. So what's the story there? Well, in 2015, you may remember, ISIS was, you know, big. They were, had a lot of power and everything. They had a cyber offensive unit called United Cyber Caliphate. I think it was the name of it. So in July of 2015, our office was more or less shut down. It was like the Friday after or the Friday before, something like that. But it was me and the president was in the company. That's it. Just us two was in in the office. And so this guy walks in with a polo shirt. I think he had a Razorback shirt on. I'm in Arkansas. He's got a Razorback polo shirt on and blue jeans, 30 years old or so. And he, uh, he says, I'm looking for Tom Kirkham. And I said, well, that's me. And he holds up his badge and said, well, I'm so-and-so with the FBI, and you're in trouble, but not with us. <laughs> that's a good way to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it, it, it's, you don't realize the impact that it has on your life when, you know, you're named as someone to kill right? Now, you know, if you remember those lists, it was mostly police officer, law enforcement, military, politicians. Almost all the lists were New York metro area or Washington, D.C., right? There was one list that affected the entire nation. It had about seven or 8,000 people on the list, but I think they, they pulled out just the U.S. citizens because the breach came from a technology conference that I went to And in order to preview this equipment from Sun Microsystems, if you remember them, of course, they went bankrupt after the dot-com days. But Sun had this special equipment that you had to get clearance and sign non-disclosures, and they entered you into a database because part of the technology was you could badge with equipment and stuff. It was pretty neat stuff. And that is the one that I, that's the database that I believe was hacked. 
and everybody's all spread out all over the country. And so if you think about the impact of these thousands of people that the FBI personally visited each and every one of them, how much chaos that created and how much it tied up law enforcement resources. And that was ISIS's objective, one of them. The other objective was to inspire lone wolves, right? It's not like I'm really worried about somebody flying over here to kill me. What I'm worried about is the lone wolves, those U.S. citizens often that are sympathetic. And in fact, there was a couple that lives here in this town that wanted to get into ISIS, and they were arrested at a shopping mall here. Yeah, and so it could be a real thing. Well, during the visit, I, I'm sitting there and saying, well, I've never met an FBI agent. Like, can I see the badge again? You know, and I, so it's not registering, right? And, I, and so we're sitting there just, you know, just kind of shooting the breeze and laughing and, you know. And, and so finally I said, so what's this mean, that they're going to hack into my bank account or something? He said, he said no, they, you're, you're named to be killed. Name and address, that's how I found you. And, and I'm fairly well known in the community, so people know where I live and all of that. It wouldn't be hard to find. And so the gravity of the situation really started sinking in. So, I, of course, the first thing, it was 10 o'clock in the morning by this time, or maybe 10.30. And I said, well, it's a good time to start drinking. And then I, it, it, as it sunk in more and more, I realized that I'm a danger to anybody that I'm around. So I had an obligation to notify relatives and of course everyone I work with and and others that you know it's it's very unlikely anything will come of it but there's still that possibility so why I know your name was on this list from this sun microsystem thing but why are they why are you why do they want to kill you I mean that doesn't seem that seems pretty extreme like maybe let we could get the guy and get some information from him or hack his computer or whatever but why did it go to that level well, that's part of terrorism. You know, terrorism and chaos. That's kind of what they trade in, right? So that's their specialties. That's their wheelhouse. And, you know, tying up law enforcement and all that. So how does that then translate into, you said that's why you're kind of where you're at today is because it sort of, did it start with this whole ISIS thing? Or how did that translate to where we are now? Well, I've, all my whole life, I've always done intellectual exercises around if I were going to rob that bank how would I go about doing it right to get away with it obviously and then you know security systems what's their weaknesses and I've just done that just I was just always curious and went through the exercises of how would I hack something or steal something or whatever and I always love watching you know heist movies you know all the oceans movies and the list goes on but what really brought it to it and and I was already doing cybersecurity the company was already doing it we're doing the enterprise level or military grade cybersecurity we're doing all the right stuff that that we're going to get to and what you need to put in place in your law firm but that really brought it home that because of a breach people have died around the world and a lot of people don't know this but Ukraine was a test run by Russia for cyber warfare. And it was years ago, not most recently. Now, they're doing it now. But the one they did about six or seven years ago was all-out cyber warfare. And they stopped just short of freezing people to death in Ukraine. The, so Ukrainians, for several weeks there, when they woke up, they didn't know if the grocery store was going to be open or had food. They didn't know if planes were going to fly. Electricity was going to be on. Gas was going to flow. They didn't even know if Chernobyl was going to leak radiation because its vents 
radiation over time, and it's an industrial control system. It's run by a computer, right? And so a lot of the experts say that it was really Russia just doing a test run for if or when they launch a major cyber attack on the U.S. or NATO or someone else in the West. And because of the current situation in Ukraine, I'm I, frankly, I'm surprised they haven't done more than what they have to us and other NATO members. In terms of cyber attacks? Right, right. So, you know, the way the military works now is they've got the old school kinetic warfare, but now it's cyber warfares as well. It's a whole other level. Yeah. Yes. And they have the ability to, from whatever it is, 5,000 miles away, to literally kill people if they want to. At scale. At scale. And Ukraine was just a test run. Okay. All right. So how do we bring this back to law firms? I mean, I feel like that's a pretty exciting conversation. <laughs> and I'm like kind of doing this left turn and like throwing on the brakes to kind of talk about what does this have to do with law firms and lawyers and their security and you know, why should they care? Why should they not think differently about this in terms of, like I was saying in the beginning, like it's sort of like taxes and, you know, all the boring stuff that I don't really want to think about in physical form. It's like, how are you locking your doors? What is the, what, what's the security that systems that you have set up in your physical office? But what do all of these cyber attacks and the cybersecurity and all of this global kind of outlook on the way things have been going, what does that have to do with just a, a small business law firm in, you know, X town in some random city? Yeah, I, I'm a two-man law firm, and I'm in the middle of nowhere. Why would anyone want to attack me? Yeah, what does this matter to me? Yeah. Right. Well, what a lot of people don't understand is they think Colonial Pipeline, or they think JBS Meat Supply, they think Sony Pictures Corporation. The majority of cyber attacks are to small to medium-sized firms, and they're fully automated from beginning to end. They don't know who you are. They don't care. Your email just ended up on a list. And and there's so many specialties, and this is what most people get wrong. They don't realize the sheer scale of the the, the criminal hacking industry or even my side of the industry, the, the good guys, the white hats. And, you know, like a ransomware attacker, his superpower is psychological manipulation, social engineering, but, you know, all it is is just a con job, right? And so... They use those techniques to get people to let them into the network. And it's commonly done through email. Ransomware is the number one threat to everyone. Okay, so let's talk, let's talk about what that is. What, what's ransomware? And I've had multiple firms go through this in different methods. So let's, let's talk about what it is and kind of what examples are of ransomware. Okay, the most common distribution method and vector to end up with a cyber attack or a ransomware cyber attack, is through email. Now, we're starting to see an increase of compromised websites distributing it, but let's just take email. So an email will come in to, maybe it's accounting, and the body of the message is something, it creates a sense of urgency. It says, attached are the open invoices for your account. If payment isn't made immediately, we're going to shut the service off. And it's someone in bookkeeping just doing their job right? It's a non-malicious insider. So they, they're, they're thinking to themselves, 
well, I, where, yeah, we, we use credit card. Let me open this up and see what it is. And so it's an Excel spreadsheet, let's say. Well, the Excel, this is the storyline of an attack, okay? That's an actual term in our business, and it's going to be relevant to something else I hope we get to. So the storyline of the attack is the user opens the file attachment, the spreadsheet calls a macro, the macro calls the disk encryption service, and then it begins encrypting every single file it can find both on the local computer and the network, any shared drives at all. And it does this totally unannounced. So what I'm picturing right now is I have a first grader who is homesick, randomly just sick the other night, throwing up. I'm picturing the playground, and I don't know what she got or what bugs she brought home, but she picked something up. And I'm picturing the playground, and I'm picturing that moment where they open that, that attachment is like she kind of brushed up against some other kid who was throwing up two nights ago. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that is now on her. It's now on the girl next to her. Like, I'm picturing the playground and this kind of nastiness that's spreading all over these first graders that don't really wash their hands quite enough. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The germ magnets. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so I just wanted to add that visual in because, because it gets so complicated. And it's like, okay, no, it's just as easy as picturing dirty first graders. <laughs> right. So the second part of this attack is you have to understand that it's done at volume. Okay. So let's say they attack all of the registered members of the New York State Bar Association. Okay. And let's say it's 100,000 attorneys, probably more, but I know the math. You got 100,000 emails, 100,000 potential victims. It's done at such scale, they think in terms of conversion rates. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a marketing campaign. Yeah, exactly. So let's say 1% become victims. That's 1,000 victims, right? And let's say, and this is calculated automatically as well, the ransom amount. You know, Colonial Pipeline was four and a half million, I believe. JBS was, I don't know, 12, something like that. Sony was a whole different animal. But nevertheless, you know, if it only sees two or three computers, it may only ask for I don't know, $3,000. And if it sees 10 computers on the network, it'll ask for 10,000 and you know, it just calculates it. Let's say the average ransom collected is $10,000 per victim. 1,000 times 10,000, $10 million payday for about a week and a half of work. Now, in the execution of the attack, the ransomware specialist, hacker, from another specialty group, these are professionals, okay? From another specialty group, he's rented an encryption server. From another specialty group, he's rented an email server because it's got to be a clean email server. It's never been seen to send this out. From another specialty group, he gets an 1-800 help desk services for the victims. So if they don't know how to obtain Bitcoin, if they have technical difficulties, they pay the ransom, but the files won't encrypt, and it goes on and on. And from yet another group, the whole thing is point-and-click attacks. It's a piece of software that he's bought and installed on his computer. So he just uploads the spreadsheet with the emails in it. Then he puts in a server address for the email server. He puts in the encryption email address. Then he puts in the, the content for the help desk, you know, phone number and everything. And then it asks him, do you want to do additional payloads? So he'll upload server backdoors and key loggers and other types of malware. 
because that's just another source of revenue for the ransomware attacker. It's not his specialty to exploit server backdoors. And then it goes next, next, and says, when do you want to send it? And tomorrow at 3 a.m., it doesn't really matter. Bam. From then on, it's totally automated. Might get a notification if it's a really big target. But that, so it, it doesn't matter where you are, who you are. They don't know and they don't care. Right. So, and then all these guys are working together. The guy who does the email server, the guy that executes the thing, the guy who then has the 800 number support desk, that's all a whole network of, of these guys. These are criminal organizations. Some of them, ransomware attackers generally are small teams. There was one global ransomware attack that occurred three or four years ago. And the masterminds went by the, the alias of G and Crab. So if you reverse the C and G, it's C and Grab. Get it? <laughs> yeah, okay. So G and Crab launched this massive ransomware attack, and I don't know how many victims they had, but they grossed, I believe it was $2.5 billion. And they each made $300 million each. So that's $600 million out of it. All the rest of the money went to all of the others of their gangs. You know, there are other Ocean 11s. 11 right? guys, yeah. Who are these guys? Where, I mean, are they just all over the, the world? I mean, I picture, of course, Eastern Bloc countries and Russians and whatever. Is that who, where most of them are? I mean, obviously, it's a big mystery for the most part, I guess. And and how are they How are they making these networks? Where? How do they meet each other? Well, it's all on the dark web. The, the dark web is, unless you know what you're doing, and I don't recommend anybody go on there, it's like going down the wrong alley at 2 a.m. You know, I've been on it, but that's where all this bad stuff takes place. I mean, that's where, yeah, anything you can imagine that's bad, buy and sell drugs, child pornography, all of those things are all found on the dark web, okay? So if you don't know what you're doing, you can get in trouble just for visiting some of those sites that's on there. But they hang out in these chat rooms, and they get to know each other, and you know, and they develop reputations. Now, to your point about where where are they, they tend to be in these former Eastern Bloc or untouchable-type countries. So especially in the case of Russia, that war that they did on Ukraine we were talking about, their objectives were aligned with the Kremlin. So he's got basically thousands of cyber mercenaries at his useful, you know, whenever they're useful. So he, he unleashed them on Ukraine. Now get this, the only thing, it, it, it was basically attack at will, just make sure that virus doesn't hit Russian computers, okay? Guess what they did to make sure that didn't happen? When it's installing and about to be executed, it looks at the language on the computer. You know how you have to set it for English? If it saw Russian, it didn't execute. Oh my gosh. Okay, so that's there's one little nice little thing you could do <laughs> to your computer for Yeah, some you could just set it to Russian. Well, <laughs> yeah. then you got to worry about the North Koreans and China and all of yeah. that, so. But okay. uh, you know like you and it's not just criminals, although it's a huge people just don't realize how big this industry is and and especially among attorneys, they're cynical and skeptical, which I think is a is a good quality for an attorney, right? But they're skeptical, and, they're, and I frequently get accused of overblowing the situation or exaggerating the seriousness or the volume. But just understand it's a, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry, both on the good side and the bad side and ransoms being paid. It is 
by far larger than the worldwide illegal drug trade. Oh, wow. Okay, so I'm picturing, so we're talking about ransomware to begin with, and that's the majority of where the profit is for these, you know, hackers. But the the flip side of that is there how do you protect yourself against ransomware because you're when you first started talking about it you mentioned that a lot of a lot of the times they're just getting your name off of a list that was breached so how do you protect yourself against that because usually when i'm talking to people about security we're talking about you know setting up monitors and you know like doing all of these list of things to protect your website or protect your emails and your accounts but ransomware is different how can you do anything differently when it comes to that well that's a great great question and what it helps to understand that all of these nation states have cyber warfare units. We have the U.S. Cyber Command, NSA, right? Two of the most, you know, arguably premier cyber military organizations in the world. Well, their tools have been broken in and stolen, and they've been breached. And now a modern ransomware attack is not run-of-the-mill. These are, they're using, for example, the Stuxnet virus that the U.S. and Israel used against Iran to you know, mess up their centrifuges in the nuclear enrichment facility. That very virus is being modified. You can download it for free off oh, the dark web. In case, in case you just want to have it for fun. <laughs> well, hackers, that's where they're getting it. But all of their tool offensive weapons were stolen. And they tried to sell them at first, but then they it, that wasn't successful. It's a long story. But anyway, they're all free and they're all on the dark web. So the game changed six or seven years ago. And other nations' cyber weapons have been stolen and and you can get those, or hackers can get those as well. So number one is there's no virus in a modern ransomware attack. There's no virus signature to detect. That storyline that I described is the only way you can see an imminent attack on the computer. So the technical control, okay, this technical tool that needs to be installed on your, all your computers is known as an EDR. It's an endpoint detect and response system that uses artificial intelligence or a neural net to watch for storylines that lead up to an imminent attack and stop it. So they function as an intrusion detection system, an intrusion prevention system, and then they need to be backed up by skilled security personnel, defensive, good guys, to respond, investigate, mitigate, remediate all of those things, right? They, and you've also, another thing about ransomware attacks is we have yet to go into a new client that's had a modern ransomware attack and not discovered server backdoors and keyloggers just waiting for another specialist to pick up. And, and sometimes they'll sit there for months or even years. So anyone listening, don't think you're pre-disastered, right? You know, don't think that what's the odds that are happening again? Well, first of all, you're a mark. But number two is it will happen again. The, the stats tell us if you've had one, you're more likely to have another one. But that EDR is the only technical control that is effective against modern-day ransomware attacks. We've required our clients to install EDR. Or we will not take them on as a, a client, period. It's non-negotiable. You've got to have these tools. And as a result... No client of ours has had a cyber security event of any magnitude. Okay, so 
EDR, is that just a standard software or what, what is that exactly that you're installing? And is it both PC and Mac or what is it that you're purchasing and installing? Well, it's a replacement for antivirus. So it is a piece of software. Okay. So but it's, the, it's the new it's, and improved McAfee. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's really multitudes better because, all right, so, so get this. ADRs are so cool. I could talk for a whole hour on this. They use a neural net. You know like how a Tesla with autopilot or full self-driving, it learns the road. Every time a Tesla goes down the highway with autopilot on it, it knows more about the road than the previous Tesla did, right? And it uploads this to a neural net. So the very next Tesla that goes down that stretch of highway knows more about the road. EDRs work the same way. And they're all interconnected, communicating at almost the speed of light all over the globe. So let's suppose a new technical threat storyline is discovered in, say, Sydney, Australia. Okay? The EDR is first time it's any of them it's ever seen it, but now it knows the storyline. Within, within minutes, every other computer protected by that EDR knows what to look for and can stop it. Within minutes, worldwide. I mean, that's just some of the cool stuff it can do. But So that's a type of software, right? Are there brands that provide EDR software, or is it one? Where, where do people get that? Well, we're best in class. So all of the products and administrative controls that we use and implement for our clients are constantly evaluated and reevaluated. So we do rip and replace. Sometimes we add it to our stacks. But when it comes to best in class EDRs, we use Sentinel One. We're partner with them. And another really good one's CrowdStrike. Now those that typically the best in class products, and this is true for whatever, you know, generally best in class products are done by vendors that that's their only job, right? They don't have credit protection, life lock stuff, right? And the crypto miner that Norton added to their last one, which is mind boggling in and of itself. But, but the other thing about it is the best-in-class products also do require skilled professionals, so they're not sold at Best Buy or Office Depot. You can't just go out and buy it on your own. Okay, so you need someone who knows what they're doing to get this all set up for you. And is there one that would be better for law firms in general when you're talking about all of these you know, legal documents and obviously they have financial information about their clients and all of that stuff, but you know, they have a fiduciary responsibility to their clients to keep things at a certain level of security. Is there one software that you know of that's typically better for the legal industry? That's more to do with their individual risk profile, but but there's even more, you know, you got RPC 1.1 and 1.6, right? You know, the ethical obligations, you got to have reasonable efforts. Well, if you've listened to this po this podcast, at the end of this podcast, if you don't make any effort to get rid of that McAfee, Norton, you know, Office Depot, Internet Security Suite, and you have a breach, and I'm called in to testify, I'm going to say they did not do reasonable efforts. Because these are, these are international standards. It's, it is my opinion, but it's not my opinion's right. You know, both things can be true, right? These are best practices, international standards, and this is what you do these days. So what are most people overlooking? I know you talk to so many people and I feel like this is another thing similar to taxes where you don't want to think about it and then all of a sudden you freak out because something bad happens and what are what what is that thing that's happening in most cases? 
Well, there's, and this is a problem with society as a whole. Global society, as a society, we have sacrificed security in the name of productivity and efficiency for the past 40-something years, you know, since the advent of the modern PC era. And we're paying the price for it now. Even the Internet itself wasn't designed with security in mind. And so, you know, when you look at investing in IT, it's a no-brainer, right? You know, you're plenty young, so you know that it'll pay for itself. You don't even have to think twice about it. Well, that wasn't the case, you know, when PCs came out. You know, PCs were $10,000. It required weeks of training just to get somebody to, and then they would only do one thing at a time, right? And so it was a significant, and so it was really a return on investment question. Am I going to get a payback on this? And what's the risk? Well, that's where we are as a society now with cybersecurity. So it's more of a strategic decision for those that get the message. And this is my job, is to raise awareness. For those that get the message and they understand that it could be a a fatal attack on a firm, destruction of reputation, fines, you know, personal injury lawyers, you got medical records. Office of Civil Rights enforces HIPAA violations. They don't mess around. If you've got, if you're a patent law or doing any intellectual property stuff, you've got to worry about China. So now you've got a nation state that changes your risk profile. And then you've got, what's your gross revenues? That's almost always got to be calculated into understanding the risk. So one of the big mistakes I see is failure to do a proper risk assessment. Understanding your vulnerabilities, all the things you're doing wrong, and and being candid to yourself, and understand that reusing passwords is not a good idea. Ninety percent of the population does it, even though sixty percent know they shouldn't. Right, of course. So, can you walk me through real quick this conversation that I just had this morning with a client who has a pretty streamlined small business law firm and we're talking about ongoing website maintenance and security and why it's important and they're like you know I just think we log in once every quarter or so run the updates and it just doesn't seem like we need to spend money on this and so let's let's walk through real quick like briefly obviously how you would do that risk assessment with a firm like that. Well, the website is one of those things we'd want to talk about because it's frequently overlooked. We're seeing a big increase in compromised websites because everybody wants to do as cheap as possible. Well, as a leader, you've got to realize that what are all the different vectors? You know, what's our attack surface look like? And one of those vulnerabilities is a website. And the last thing you'd want to do is infect somebody's computer because your website was compromised. So you, you include that in the risk assessment. Now, here's the deal with software updates. And it doesn't matter whether it's a web server. There's nothing magical about a web server, by the way. It's just a computer. And, and it runs software. It's got a database. It's got a, a web server platform. It's probably WordPress. On and on and on. You've got Microsoft Windows and Microsoft Office on your computer, right? Most people blow it off. Because especially in law firms, it wouldn't surprise me if everyone listening has experienced installing an up office update and it broke a bunch of stuff, right? Well, here's, here's the problem. Sometimes these security updates are addressing what is known in the business as a zero-day threat. Now, what that means is 
This vulnerability has existed for months, and it's been actively exploited in the wild. A couple of years ago, we had Microsoft Mail Exchange servers. That was an instance where it's the minute we became aware of the situation, we had to shut down production. And it was the middle of the morning. And when you tell a law firm that's got 50 attorneys in it that their email server is going to go down at 10 a.m., the lawyers are especially... Super happy about that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, all the accounting firms and financial you know, banks and everything that we do, yeah, we can live for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe, if that's all it takes, we don't really know. Right. You know, we don't know, but best case scenario, it'll only be down 5, 10, 15 minutes, depending on the server. Had to shut them down. It was non-negotiable. It was too big of a risk to wait to let everybody else be a guinea pig, let them work the bugs out. Now, that doesn't happen often, but the lesson learned is you've got to look at what the vulnerability is and how much risk your firm is going to have for however long you delay applying that patch. And so you have to do a risk analysis on software patches. And that's something that's overlooked by even the best skilled IT people because that's not their objective. You know, I, there's a difference between IT and InfoSec when it comes to objectives. You know, that investment in PCs and the servers and the routers and the switches, all that infrastructure, that's to make the firm more productive, more efficient, more profitable. Security, InfoSec, security's job one. Not productivity, not efficiency. Those are certainly considered. And yes, it is a little bit more hassle. But hopefully, if I do my job right, it will become something, and it's as accepted and not even thought of, much like putting your seatbelt on when you get in the car, locking the front door to your house when you leave. Right, exactly. Well, and at the end of the day, it, it, does have, it does have a bottom line number to it. It does affect revenue and productivity if all of a sudden you're hacked and now you're completely derailed with whatever work you are going to do having to deal with this and deal with whatever costs are related. And so, it, I mean, it, it is not quite as directly related to the productivity as like those IT guys and setting up faster computers and all of that stuff. But I do think it's... That's why it's so overlooked is because you, they, they don't do that straight line to the bottom line and how, how it does affect your, you know, your revenue and income if, if the bad things happen. Yeah, well, especially with any type of professional services company, a lot of your value of your organization is built into your reputation. And, and, and despite the ethics requirements, which I know everyone wants to comply with, but, you know, there's research that indicates proactively defending to make sure you don't get an attack is four to five times less expensive than an actual attack. But that, that's really kind of a BS number because if it's a fatal attack, you could go out of business. Forty to sixty percent of businesses that have a major cyber attack go out of business within six months to two years. Oh my gosh! And what by a major cyber attack do you mean like a ransomware where they get yeah, in and a yeah. ransomware attack can easily do it. You know, we I was using a, a small law firm here in town that got acquired by a former client of ours that actually left because they didn't want to pay for the EDR. They acquired the firm I was using, and I knew they'd had a ransomware attack after they fired us. And then the reason I knew is that 
the guy that they hired to do their IT used to work for me, and he knew I had Bitcoin. So I helped them pay their ransom. But when they came into the firm, and I like them as people, but I said, I can't use you guys. I can't take the risk because you become an attack vector to me. You know, think about your whole law firm. Who's the stakeholders in your law firm? Especially if you're dealing in intellectual property or patent law, you're, you could be an attack vector to that very single client or those clients you do intellectual property for. They can be an attack vector for you. So getting into, you, you kind of touched on a, a, a specialty in the white hat industry, the white hat hacking industry, that's called incident response, okay? So that means something bad happens, you gotta respond, right? It's an incident, security anomaly, security event. We do incident response for our clients, but we're not specialized in it. If you do nothing and you don't put a security team in place that's part of your team all the time, being every day investigating stuff and monitoring and all of that, and you're just going to rely on cybersecurity insurance or hoping it won't happen to you. If you have a serious incident, number one, you got to scramble. You're going to have five days probably to get Bitcoin if you don't already have it. But you got to get back up in business. How much downtime? You're, you're a law firm that primarily bills by the hour and your, your average hourly rate is, I don't know, $1,000 an hour. How, how, how long can you afford to be down? You know, the insurance is not going to pay fines. Some of them don't pay fines. Some of them don't pay ransom. You're probably not going to pay loss of productivity. So it's much cheaper to defend. But getting to this incident response thing, and we get these calls occasionally. You know, I'm under attack. I need you right now. Yeah, that's not our bag, right? We don't negotiate ransoms because we never have to deal with them. We're specialists in preventing it. I, you know, when you go to these conferences, right, I'm always amazed at the FBI, he packs the room and he gets up and talks about cybersecurity. Well, that's law enforcement. The, the horse has already left the barn, you know? So they don't do it. They, I've never heard FBI, DHS, any of these guys tell, make any recommendations about defense. And that that's the smart thing to do. Yeah, that doesn't right. make any sense. I mean, if you talk about any other kind of crime, that's everyone's question. Okay, how do I prevent this from happening to me? How do I avoid that certain neighborhood that, you know, continuously has a certain kind of recurring type of crime? You know, that's what everyone is asking. So it, it makes no sense that you're not then looking at these things happening to other firms or other companies and saying, okay, what can I do in my own business to prevent this kind of a nightmare from happening to me? Right. And a lot of that is, just, and I don't mean this negatively, but it's really ignorance. You know, I, I would be willing to wager that most people listening had no idea of the scale of the hacking industry. Most people have this mindset that it's still some teenager, you know, the stereotypical eating Cheetos in his mom's basement, doing it for bragging rights. Yeah, well, and that's it exactly. And in the beginning, I, I was thinking of asking, we started talking about who these guys are and where they are. But it's it's not just... For the most part, it's not just a guy. It's done. There, there's a team of them. They set it up. But then the actual attack is being done by robots, and it's be done, being done at this massive, super fast scale. Is that right? Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so, and and then you've got the targeted attacks, right? So, if you're in, in especially intellectual property or patent law, there's a good chance, depending on what your client profile is, there's a decent chance you got to worry about China. So your risk 
changes dramatically when you are a targeted attack. Because now they're exp- they're spending money to try to attack you. You're not just caught up in in some sort of randomness, or visiting the wrong a compromised website by accident. And and I've seen CNN.com get compromised and Weather.com get compromised. But here's what everyone needs to know right now. And we just saw this happen in our own office because we're targeted all the time, constantly, day in, day out, hundreds of times a day, both automatic and manual. And we just got an email just about four weeks ago, maybe five. I just happened to be, no, I I was out of the country, but I got the email. And it was the first AI-generated spear phishing attack that I'd seen. How did you know it was AI-generated? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) It was chat GPT. How did you know that? Okay, so our chief marketing officer, in the beginning of 2021 was director of marketing, I think, was her title, okay? So, and you could tell it was automated because they they boogered up the code, and so it said roll, which meant that was, you know, her company. And it had her name to it. It was addressed to accounting, asking a very specific question that would not be out of the ordinary for her to do. But the title on it was director of marketing. So I knew it was automated, I already know we're targeting, and it was a bit ham-fisted. But as it evolves, you know, you know, it can write code. So now they just connect up a few more databases, and now we're going to see this happen much quicker. It's not going to be months and years. We're going to see it increase dramatically in weeks to where even a very, very small firm is going to be a victim of a spear phishing attack or some other type of targeted attack automated through scale it's worth their time to invest human energy into targeting us just like it was in colonial pipelines case because we got the keys to the kingdom right i mean we got a serious serious obligation of security and but now with ai it doesn't matter how small you are that investment now is all automated now there is good news if you got time the good news is because they're using AI, we've already been using AI for years, so all the defenses that you need to put in place that is no secret international standards best practices will protect you from those as well. Well, that's good to know because everybody, it does seem like everybody thinks this AI stuff is brand new just because of ChatGPT, and it seems like like all of a sudden everybody's awoken to it, and it's like... It's been here for years. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what do you? We've all been using it under different names and titles and and whatever. So the one we're just talking about today is ChatGPT, but that you know, there's been various forms of AI around for for ages. Yeah, that's when they got the natural language processing thing. That's what really kind of opened everybody's eyes to it. And I and I truly believe it's a seminal event in the history of man humans, whatever. And I think it's going to, when we look back 10 or 20 years from now, it's going to look like the invention of the World Wide Web, and which, you know, the internet existed before the World Wide Web. A lot of people confuse those two, but but yeah, it's, it's a seminal event. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it is now time for the book review. So I know that you have a good one, and we didn't talk too much about it so that we didn't, we wouldn't ruin the, the recording surprise. So what's the book that you're going to recommend to the audience today, Tom? 
Okay, besides my own two that you can get on Amazon. Yeah, of course. Search of course. for we, my name. Yeah, we will link to those on the show page and in, in, within the show notes as well. Right. I, and I want to point out that those are written for the layperson. They are written for managing partners, owners of the law firm, whatever. Anybody that wants to read it, it's got a fictional component, so it's not – I didn't write it for – I didn't write it for my fellow nerds. Okay. okay. <laughs> Either one you, of the books. Yeah, the guys you meet at those conferences. <laughs> right, but one of them's yeah. on, it's called Hack the Rich, and it's about protecting high net worth individuals because, yeah, so they have special risk assessments and risk risk profiles. And the other is about, you know, there's five things that I talk a lot about, but it's it's some of the stuff that we've touched on today that it just walks you through, this is what you need to look for to hire a security consultant. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah, but for the cynics, or the skeptics among you that think I'm over-exaggerating. Is that a word? Exaggerating, over-exaggerating. If you, if you think I'm just telling you all of these things because I sell the stuff, and remember, both things can be true. It can be true, and yes, we do sell the stuff. Okay, don't forget that. You know, when I go to an attorney, I know he's selling his services, so I take his advice. But if you're still skeptical, there is a book, the title of which is... This is how they tell me the world ends. And it's written by Nicole Perlroth, who at the time of writing that book, she had spent 10 years as the cybersecurity reporter for the New York Times. Oh, how cool. And it's a pretty daunting book. It's 500 pages, give or take. But a third of the book is citations and references and data to back up everything she claims in the book. And it is terrifying. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so give me an example. Well, the Stuxnet virus is one of them. The war in Ukraine is another one. I use some of her stuff. And it's incredible research. But and but what's really the fascinating part, and I, I go to some of these black hat conferences and DEF CON and myself, and I'm in the same room at SANS Expo or LBCC, whatever. I'm in the same room with the bad guys. How right? do you get into that? Did they, and they just let you in? Sure. It's very, they're very security conscious. You don't give them a real name to get into DEF CON. You've got to pay cash because they don't, they know they can get hacked. So they become a threat vector to all the Oh my gosh, how cool. It's like, yeah. And so there's NSA guys and FBI and everything. They're, They're all there. So she spent 10 years in all of these different groups, good guys, bad guys, having dinner with them, writing stories about them. And they all have fake names. And, but she doesn't really know who they are, right? They all have fake names. Well, some of them she was meeting with. You know, she's meeting with some of the bad guys. Having dinner at, at you know, you know, during DEF CON, having dinner at a Las Vegas restaurant. And so it's it's an expose. And she goes in, and I don't know if I, I don't probably can't say this on your, your podcast, but if you, anybody that, that listens to this and gets the book, you'll, this is a, a funny moment in the book where she's talking to some of these bad guys, and she started getting a little too close for comfort, and they had immediately changed the subject. And so she'd say, hey, how can I, can you tell me who this guy really is or girl really is, because I'm trying to do a piece on this. And whoever she was talking to would say, hey, well, how's your salmon? So she referred to that. It happened over and over again where they changed the subject. So two words in the book. Every time that scene happened, effing salmon. Because she couldn't get any farther, she was hitting a brick wall. And what was that? What was happening? Do you, were they being listened to, or why? Why was what was happening at that point? 
Well, the criminal hacking industry is a lot of people know each other and they know of each other and they know their profiles and know a lot of things about them. And if you're a criminal hacker, you've got privacy, confidentiality issues, all because you could get killed too. Okay. So it's just, I'm not going to give you that information. That's the end of this conversation, basically. Yeah. Right. Okay. So she'd hit, so she'd hit just like any other reporter on investigating murders and things like that. But it's a funny point in the book, but, it, but, but here's the important part is all of those citations and research is all documented in there. Oh, how cool. Yeah, and it was an eye-opener even for me. Yeah, and how old is the book? Like, how old is the stuff that she's kind of referencing? A couple it's of years? It's fairly recent, maybe three or four years now. Maybe three. I want to say it came out before COVID. Okay, because I'm assuming this stuff moves at such a super fast immediate pace that I, I it would be fascinating to see that kind of get updated every few years. Yeah, here's another difference between IT and cybersecurity. The professions are different. It'd be like going to a family lawyer for patent law, right? It's that kind of thing, or a neurologist for heart surgery. All right, so what's the one big takeaway that you would like for attorneys and law firms to kind of get from our conversation and to understand that, that they didn't understand before we started talking? Over 95% of breaches are caused by human error. Yeah. So all of these wonderful things that we have, these technical controls, these administrative controls, which by the way, and oh, and physical controls, there's three types of controls. The physical and technical controls don't work without administrative controls. Okay, so you gotta have all three in place. All of those wonderful things that we put in place for our clients to protect them. It's called a defense in depth strategy. It's the military term, you know, you, you don't have a Maginot line like the French did in World War II. You've got, you know, tanks and air support and trenches and a navy and <laughs> yeah. trenches. Yeah. And, and the theory is is that you, you want a line of defense that'll bend and but you assume it'll break. So you want another line of defense to back that one up and another one to do that. So everyone listening here right now, they've got a spam filter. That's catching a great majority of your phishing emails, though it's never perfect. You've got a firewall in your office. I'm just telling you that's not enough anymore. You need to add some more defensive levels to your deal. But this goes right back to one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make. We provide continuous cybersecurity awareness training for our clients' companies. They can see how their employees are doing. They're seeing that they're taking the test. They, they, it gets them all scored. They see where they can do. We don't require that because it's not successful unless it's built into the culture to be security job one. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you know that, 90%, that if you have a breach, it's a 95% chance that someone in your office caused it. Did it. <laughs> right. Why not invest in cybersecurity training? And the vast majority of, of our, even our clients don't do it. And the ones that do make that correct decision to buy it, they either exempt themselves from it because I'm too smart to be fooled, or I don't have the time. I bill $1,500 an hour. I don't have time to spend 10 minutes on cybersecurity awareness training every week. And, and so then they're not walking the talk. Well, now that's a leadership failure, and you're setting a poor example. You, you know, as humans, only 7% of communication, especially from management and leadership, 
is based on the words they use. The other 93% is body language and other factors. And that's what I mean by walking the talk. What do you think? How do you think your whole firm is going to feel how serious you are about cybersecurity awareness training if you don't do it yourself? Yeah. So in order to combat that 95% of failures that are just based on some human issue, you would you say then that the best thing that a person or a firm can do is this just ongoing training, stay updated? Because otherwise, it, the answer can't be just improve your tech, improve your you know physical things, because those are the things that aren't causing the problem, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, first thing you need to do is get you find a managed security services provider. That cybersecurity is the most important thing. It's not an add-on to IT. In fact, what we're seeing in the corporate world is they're flipping those roles around. So right now, you and probably most of the listeners are considering, well, we need to plug in or add on these better cybersecurity defenses, right? you got to flip it on its head. you got to make security job one and plug IT into it. Yeah, I think that's key. And so the, the forward-thinking companies like Booz Allen, the global consulting firm, and, and others, that's exactly what they did. IT reports to the chief information security officer. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that is not the way most people think of it, right? That's right. But, but, but that means you're not making security job one. You're compromising security in the name of productivity and efficiency if you let IT drive any decision that involves risk to the firm. Oh, that's so good. In terms of thinking about, you know, productivity and security and risk, they're somewhat in battle with each other. And so if you don't lead with the security and risk and then have the IT fall behind that, then it's just a mistake. It's a huge problem. Yeah. And you got to remember, you're never going to get 100% successful and defended against all attacks. Of if course. The NSA, yeah. The NSA can be breached. Anybody can be breached. Exactly. But you understand the impact on both productivity and the impact on risk. And if you do those two properly, it's like no client uses everything in our security stack. Even we don't use everything in our security stack. You don't want to, yeah. Yeah, because it's it, the, there's a law of diminishing returns. You know, it's going to cost us $1,000 a year to implement this line of defense, and there's a 0.0001% chance it's going to happen. I would probably say no to that. It depends on what it is, but, you know, and once again, if you're targeted, it's different than non-targeted and on and on. And the next thing is get a world-class, best-in-class, best in or best-of-breed EDR. You want to hear that security consultant being able to articulate maybe the NIST cybersecurity framework. It walks you through an assessment and tells you there's five parts to it, but here's international standards, you know, they should be able to tell you what NIST is and how they use it. They should be able to name best-in-class EDRs and not the stuff you buy at Best Buy. They should do their own monitoring and orchestration of anomalies and events that need to be investigated. And this is not me recommending that. It's the White House. The National Security Advisor to the President wrote a letter a year and a half ago, addressed it to all business leaders, the subject, what we urge you to do to prevent ransomware attacks. And in it, EDR, skilled security team, 
turn on disk encryption, turn on and use MFA wherever possible, and you'll have to go to the website for the fifth one. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> That's all right. That gives everybody something exciting to, to follow up on. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, if you go to our website or our YouTube channel, there's just there's hours and hours and hours where I go into a deeper dive on many of these topics. And because you've got to understand, this is a huge, huge industry. Yeah. And I think that's the bottom line is that not everybody does understand. Like they just think in terms of the kinds of things that we saw 10, 15 years ago, where it was just the things that, that McAfee and Norton were kind of going after and those little viruses that were getting into your computer. And it's just, it's, it's a whole different world now. It's not that, that's not what we need to protect ourselves against anymore. And I will say, I've had multiple firms and clients who have had ransomware attacks, and some of them are completely fake, and they're coming in through, like, a fax, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> Those, the, the old one was a Nigerian 419 scam. <laughs> You know, they, there was one of those pulled on me where the law firm said uh, we represent our client and it, my last name's Kirkham. It's somewhat unusual. And so they actually, I forgot the first name, but there was a Kirkham that was killed in an airplane crash in Nigeria and they're trying to find heirs. You know, I Googled that and it was actually, it was a true story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm thinking, wow, they really went to an effort here. But anyway, it's, it was a scam. But yeah, it used to be old. It, and you know, a lot of people think, well, why don't we just outlaw Bitcoin? Ransomware attacks were around l many years before Bitcoin was invented. Yeah. No, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was such an awesome, interesting, enlightening, and kind of fascinating conversation. So Tom Kirkham, thank you so much for being here for, and for this conversation. We will link to your website, your two books, the book recommendation, all of those good things, because I know people really need to follow up, especially, well, everyone, but you talked a lot about patent and trademark attorneys, and I think there's a lot of security risk and issues that probably didn't occur to an, a number of people until they were kind of listening to your discussion of that. So thank you so much for this conversation, and, and thanks for all of your insight. Well, I'm happy to be here, and it's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.